Welcome to FEPS Talks, a podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to this new episode of the FEPS Talks. I'm David Rinaldi, Director of Studies and Policies at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. And I'm very happy to host today uh, in this new episode, Maria Herzog. She is an economist, sociologist. She has teaching and research position both in Hungary and the US, but she is perhaps uh, more uh, well-known in Brussels for her engagement on uh, child rights with the Eurochild. She is a former president. She was also a member of the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child member of the European Economic and Social Committee, and now you're also president of the Family Child Youth Association in Hungary. We are delighted to have you here. Thank you. Actually, I'm working in the U.S. currently in uh, Ohio, Columbus, at the Institute for Human Services as a policy analyst for two years now. So I think that you are very well placed to tell us what is the state of early childhood education and children education in general, uh, perhaps with a look at what was before uh, the pandemics and what is actually happening now? Well, generally, the pandemic hasn't dramatically changed the legislation and the policies, but definitely has changed the situation and the opportunities of the families and children having access or not having access to the different services. Now, as far as um, the early years are concerned, I would uh, be really keen on also pointing out that we are focusing on the care and education with the, fo- with the emphasis on the care rather than on the education, because for many People, education means that we are teaching children. However, when it comes to early childhood, we should focus on the developmental needs of children and the play and social skills uh, building and development should be in, in, the, in the center of it. I know that for many, uh, early childhood education and care is primarily a preparation for the school, but we don't think so. Uh, we guess that the first years of life are very essential from the perspective of the emotional well-being of children. And what the research has shown, that if children are well emotionally, they are nurtured, then they are much more open for learning. And obviously, they are not preoccupied with their uh, feelings and confusion about the word. So that is why it would be so important to put much more emphasis on early years uh, care and education provisions. And currently, In Europe, what we can see that there is a divided system, which is not very helpful. In most of the countries, the system for under the age of three is offering different kinds of services than for those over three and uh, between three and the school age. Denmark is a good example where the integrated services have been implemented, and we have a lot of evidence that this could be helpful for different reasons. On the other hand, what we are aiming at in Europe and have been working very hard for many, many years is the flexibility of the services because children are different, not only because they have different age groups, but also because their developmental stages differ widely. And also because there are a lot of children who are in a deprived situation, so they need more support during the early childhood provisions than others. Um, Also, for the EU, for a long 
period of time, what we have seen that the labor market perspective was the most prominent from the perspective of the ECEC provisions, meaning that they wanted the women going back to the labor market and encouraging women uh, mostly uh, to work more. Uh, and therefore, so that in the meantime, they should provide some care for the children. What we see from a child rights perspective and child well-being perspective is obviously that our primary goal would be an optimum development for the children. And that would mean that we are providing very flexible, high-quality, accessible, preferably free services for the children, and also meeting the needs of the parents at the same time. For instance, with the flexible opening hours and other provisions. Now, the pandemic obviously has challenged all these provisions because for most of the children, or all of them, for a long period of time, all these uh, services were closed. Many parents uh, had to stay at home. And I can, we can divide the, the different parent groups. Those who could work from home in home offices, uh, it has meant a, an enormous extra burden because they had to need, meet the children's needs, but at the same time, they had to work from home. And obviously, uh, this is not an easy situation for any, anyone. On the other hand, other people who lost their jobs, they had more time, but obviously they had no income. And also the anxiety about the existential difficulties has caused a lot of, lot of trouble. And this tension has contributed most probably to the fact that, uh, according to the data, sadly, domestic violence and uh, child abuse cases have risen substantially during the pandemic uh, period because people were locked into their apartments, oftentimes not in very favorable situations, not in good housing conditions, with very limited material resources. And also they had to provide 24 hours care for their children, what they, many of them are not used to. Please allow me uh, a passionate uh, question. Yes. Because with uh, FEPS, we have just uh, published uh, a research on towards a child union uh, with the objective of giving ideas to reduce inequalities in the EU through investment in uh, children's early years. And some of the things that we try to highlight is that at the moment, uh, even the not particularly ambitious targets that were set uh, for European member states on early childhood education and care have been attained only by half of the EU member states. And these objectives speak about 33% of coverage for children uh, below the age of three. So half of uh, European member states still don't make it to the European objective. And more or less, we have one child out of five only involved uh, and uh, with the possibility of enjoying uh, childcare. Actually, this one out of five is not a child from one of the disadvantaged households. It's usually from one of the better off with uh, two incomes, uh, parents with uh, tertiary education and so on. So this potential tool that is renowned worldwide for being one of the unique policies that are able to block this transmission of poverty, uh, prevent social exclusion, uh, fight inequality, is actually at the moment in Europe a tool that at best is helping children of better of household to achieve their potential instead of a tool that is really able 
to provide opportunities even for the disadvantaged children. How can we change this? Well, this is a very complex question, and I don't think that our time is enough for me to explain it to you, but I tried to be as short as possible, because for the public, I guess, this is a very controversial issue. If you are looking at the European countries, especially the new member states, let alone the Czech Republic and Hungary, where the parental or maternity leave is very long, three and four years, there is a tradition and a belief Actually, it's a kind of uh, part of the mythology that children under the age of three shouldn't attend any kind of child-related services. They should spend their time with their mother exclusively. And this has been um, strongly uh, backed up by the research when it talks about the the importance of the first thousand days, early emotional bonding, attachment. And obviously, if you want to convince the governments to provide more services for the children under the age of three, you have to convince the public about the developmental needs of children. The other extreme, of course, is France, Belgium, the Netherlands, where the maternity leave is extremely short three, four months, which is, again, not very favorable from the perspective of the children, let alone coming from whatever uh, backgrounds, because children should stay for a given period of time with their parents, primarily with their mothers. If you look at the WHO um, recommendation on six months exclusive breastfeeding, for instance, it means that at least in the EU, and we have been working on that and failed, to, they should extend the maternity leave, paid maternity leave to ex- at least for six months so that the mothers can breastfeed their children. But also from a bonding perspective for very young children, children's services are not favorable. Another option, obviously, would be to provide services together for the parents and the children, like the Sure Start program, what we have adapted actually in Hungary and with the help of the EU, it has been now developed in the most deprived sub-regions of the country. We have got some 114 such centers where the mothers or fathers and, uh, and, uh, and the very young children under the age of three can attend for a couple of hours every day because partly these mothers are on maternity leave anyway or because, sadly, they are unemployed and they are not employable because of the local circumstances, most of them actually are Roma. But if you can provide alternative services where you are meeting the families and the children's needs, then you can somehow increase the proportion of children attending different kinds of provisions and also uh, helping then the inclusion later during the kindergarten years. Now, when it comes to the earliest provisions and the lack of services and the, the reason why the countries haven't met the Barcelona targets is partly because the regulations for in most of the countries for under the age of three are much more strict than for the kindergarten age children. And because of the lack of integrated services, they are much more expensive because they have some special health regulation and so on. And also, sadly, The qualification of those working with the very young children is much lower than those who are working with the preschool or kindergarten age children. So what I try to say is that it's not just a question of um, promoting or pushing the uh, the better or or wider service um, availability in the new member states or in any other country. The question is, 
how can the EU and all of those advocating for these services communicate better the, the child's perspective? Why is it better for children, especially in, in disadvantaged situations, to spend more time in daycare facilities under the age of three? And that it shouldn't mean that they are there nine hours a day, but if it's only part-time, like in many countries, then the question is how can the women or the parents going back to the labor market? Because if it's a part-time provision, then obviously it is too short for the parents to work. And then even considering the transportation, as it is an issue in many areas, especially in the in the countryside, this is becoming an impossible mission. So the question is, how could we better serve the family's needs and offering more flexible services during the early years so that the parents are also increasing their parenting capacities, not by educating them, but like, as I mentioned, in the short start provisions or the Swedish Family Help Centers, where we are facilitating the opportunity for the parents to learn better the developmental needs of children and they can spend time together. Or if they are working, then obviously we should provide a lot of different types of services. And in those areas where there are no crashes or no early childhood provisions, family-based care is also an opportunity like home-based daycare provisions. And this is also an employment opportunity at the same time. So it could also increase the employment of um, those women who otherwise, or those persons who otherwise wouldn't be employable because of their place of living or other reasons. You are describing a situation in which policy objectives are multiple because Mm -hmm. you are describing a situation in which there should be awareness of the results of child care and early childhood education. There should be a big push on the accessibility and flexibility of services to accommodate the needs of the family. Can we also add uh, something on the quality and the standard? What are the type of the, let's say, of cognitive, you mentioned before, cognitive uh, and new learning experiences, the new type of education, up to which extent European countries are able to deliver somehow this type of uh, high-level quality standards and uh, how actually the EU could boost on these three aspects of accessibility and uh, which is also mean being more inclusive, transformation of the, perce- of the perception and uh, improving standards. What is the way to deliver on these three big building blocks? Well, I guess um, there have been many, many attempts within the EU also to meet all these targets, what you have just mentioned. And even within the DG education, Nora Milotai and uh, her colleagues and many experts from all over Europe have been working and still working on uh, these kind of accessible and high quality services. However, it is not an easy topic because traditionally, as you know, in early childhood care and uh, education, the qualifications were not very high and not very demanding, especially for the under the age of threes. On the other hand, these are not very highly valued positions, and they are in most countries very badly paid. So if we could change the lenses and make it clear that we should invest much more early, I'm always saying that at university level or postgraduate level where I'm teaching, I don't have to, I mean, convince the students to be motivated to learn because in principle, at least that's why they are coming to the university or to the postgraduate courses. And if you look at our salaries, which are not very high at tertiary or university levels, it's still at least three, four times more 
than those working in early childhood services, although they are doing the miracles because they are the ones who can help children at a very early age and also supporting the parents to become strong, having a good self-estimation, getting all the opportunities early on so that by the time they go to school, they are motivated and open-minded and ready to actually go going through the education system. Based on the research, it is quite evident that if you start early and you are providing high quality services before school, that even later, a not so good school cannot ruin the children, so to say. So children are becoming much more resilient if uh, before the school age, they are getting the opportunity to develop uh, according to their evolving capacities. They are respected. They know their skills and also that they are getting everything what is needed um, for them to, to learn later. So that is one point. Um, the other point is that if the early childhood services are not part of the education system, as in many countries they are not, especially for the under the age of three, then the cost implications are also there. So in many countries, uh, these are not free provisions. Although, according to my understanding, if primary education and most of the secondary education in most of the countries are now free, then we should provide the same opportunity for every single child having access. I wouldn't say that it should be compulsory because it doesn't sound very good. And the results, for instance, in Hungary with the compulsory kindergarten are not so favorable. But providing accessible, high quality, free education from zero up to 18, that would be an ideal world. That would be an ideal world, which I hope we can all have the chance to live and experience very soon. I remember uh, one quote uh, by Nelson Mandela, where he was saying that there is no no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way which they treat their children. Perhaps we should do a little bit more in Europe as well, besides the talk about future generation and sure. the fact that children are our are represent our future, particularly the, the 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 ambition to look at next generation came very strongly also with the need uh, to protect the climate. Now the the next generation uh, comes also when we discuss the recovery plan for Europe. But the policy that the European Union is discussing in this very moment uh, for children is the so-called child guarantee. In your interventions, you have highlighted a big number of policy areas that need to be addressed, just to speak as frankly as possible. In which one the child guarantee can, should help, and in which one perhaps additional uh, work uh, must be done? As uh, the child guarantee is under preparation, we don't know yet what is going to happen exactly. But the ambition is there to help each and every child who is in a marginalized situation or in a vulnerable situation and strengthening the well-being and opportunities for all children. So if you look at the five areas where the child guarantee (coughs) wants to cover uh, the support, like nutrition, health, uh, housing, employment, and the early childhood provisions, then you see that early childhood is one of the priorities of the child guarantee. 
Now, as you said, um, we shouldn't only look at children as the investment in future. Actually, in 2000, when there was a UN um, assembly um, with very active participation of children, one of the messages the children were sending to the to the world was that you are always talking us about an investment in the, to the future, but we are also the present. So what I would emphasize that childhood cannot be repeated. So when we are looking at childhood, we shouldn't only look at the future taxpayers. We should also look at human beings who have a childhood that should be joyful and satisfactory. And if you look at the child guarantee aims or targets, that is something that should be really fulfill a child rights-based approach, ensuring that every single child has got an opportunity to thrive and getting all those services that are, and the parents, of course, and the families that are needed for their optimum development so that they can enjoy their childhood just like any other child who was born into more fortunate circumstances. But at the same time, from communities, uh, society's perspective, this is the best possible investment because if they are investing early, and this is, of course, based on the 2013 commission recommendation uh, prepared by the DG Employment and Social Affairs with the help of um, Mr. Laszlo Under at the time, to invest in children and breaking the cycle of disadvantage, looking at all the aspects of this investment. And I guess the child guarantee, if it is very Working, and if there are guarantees built in that this money will be spent on, on the purposes that are um, targeted, then we can decrease substantially the disadvantage of those children who are living in very fragile and, and not very satisfactory circumstances. And that could also add on to their well-being and also our well-being. And then the, the proverb, what we very often repeat, that it takes a village to raise a child, could have a meaning also in Europe, that the community and the state has a primary responsibility to support the families in all possible ways so that the children can develop in a good and happy way. A yes or no question. Yeah. Do, do we have the chance that this upcoming child guarantee will help us to rethink early childhood education not as a demand-driven service, but rather like as a, an entitlement for every child? Yes, we hope so. Good. The next, uh, we are hopeful. Uh, the next question is instead related to one of the things that you have mentioned previously, uh, of uh, specific target groups, of specific vulnerable groups, I would say. Uh, you mentioned Roma children, uh, perhaps also children with a migrant background. Uh, so there are uh, problems of integration of, of these type of vulnerable groups in the, school, in the schooling system. And in their family is also somehow poverty is usually the rule more than the more than the exception is this a european issue or is it a local issue is it something for which uh, subsidiarity should rule and so local communities should take care of their own integration methods or poverty for children lack of inclusiveness is 
and should be a sufficient problem for the European Union to step in and provide support, guidelines, standards uh, and recommendations to change and improve the situation. Yes, I'm sure it is. It is a European issue and it has always been a European issue. If you look at the Roma inclusion decade, if you look at the uh, inclusion efforts of disabled persons and including children, if you look at the issues concerning refugees and migrant populations, this has always been in principle at least. The question is how the local and the national governments and communities reflecting on these European efforts. Are they supportive? Do they understand? Why is it so important? Why is it also their best interest that children and other vulnerable groups of the society are happy and satisfied? Why is it worth investing in their well-being? Because it's not only that we are helping those who are uh, having um, difficulties in their lives, because it's a human right imperative, that's the first and foremost reason. But otherwise, there is a very strong economic argument that if we are investing into uh, the well-being of children and all groups of vulnerable people all over Europe, this is serving also our well-being and our long-term economic interest, because then these people are obviously not dependent. They are active uh, members of the community and the society. They can work, they can pay tax, they don't rely on social uh, services. Rather, they can also contribute and have a, a satisfactory life, not mentioning their children's better chances for the future. So, I mean, we have to communicate it properly, but there are so many political considerations that are blocking this kind of communication. And obviously, locally, it is really hard to convince the local communities that supporting those in need is our obligation because we are in a more favorable situation, but also because it serves also our well, well-being and, and longer aims. Thank you. I move towards the last question, perhaps even a short policy suggestion if you want, because you mentioned of the changes that uh, families and children are endure- enduring during this uh, moment in which uh, social distancing, lockdown, closing of schools, remote working for parents. And you know that in many countries at the national level, as well as the European level, as well as in the US where you're based now, there are there's a lot of talk about the type of recovery that we have to put forward. What would be your recommendation to make sure that the issue of care and care for children is seen as part of the strategy for the recovery? What would be your necessary uh, recommendation as a necessary part of a to-do list for national and European gap. Well, uh, I guess despite of the logic of the of the current recovery policies when all the attention is paid on the economic recovery, we should rather focus on the social recovery because that is that on a longer run can feed the economic recovery. If there were much more flexible, high-quality services provided now for the families with children, that would enable them to uh, go back to work much earlier. But if we are just focusing on the re-employment of people and we are not providing better services, and, and again, I have to say, colorful, flexible set of services that are not rigid because that cannot meet the labor market needs either. For instance, if you are looking at the open hours of the early childhood care and and education settings, oftentimes parents are not able to work because they cannot pick up their children on time before the closing hours.
hours. Also, if you look at the atypical working hours, when people are working in shifts, there are only very few countries like Finland and Sweden where there are early childhood provisions that are open 24 hours a day. So for instance, if there is a lone mother who is working in night shift, then she doesn't have to take the child during the day to the daycare, but the child can sleep over so that she can go to work. And these are provisions that are not so well known, although I guess if before the part of the recovery could be to make a very detailed research on the needs of the parents and the children, asking them about their needs and meeting all the good practices, looking at the good practices already available and implementing them at a policy level in all the countries. And again, of course, making accessible the services, not only building-wise, but also, for instance, providing transportation when it is needed, also providing home-based care when this is, a, this is a good opportunity, and increasing the quality of care by providing better education for the caretakers and paying them much, much more so that because they deserve that, it's a really demanding work. And also it could give, uh, help the pay gap problems as 95% or even more of those working in the uh, childcare industry are actually women. Dear Maria, dear Dr. Herzog, thanks a lot for <laughs> this nice talk. It was a pleasure to host you in the Feb's Talks episode. I invite all those that care about this care uh, industry and child education to check uh, FEP's website for more publication on the child union, as well as on the care economy, uh, inequality, and the care framework for gender equality. I think uh, it can be it can be appropriate to conclude with the African proverb on which we can all reflect: "Takes a village to raise a child." Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.